I am here today uh, with my family. The last couple of times I've been here, I have not been able to have my family. They've been serving at church, uh, but today we are all here still serving, but in a different way. So I just want to honor my wife, Ashley, and my three kids, Emma, Callie, and Samuel. Uh, it's, it's pretty sweet doing church. I, I'm looking at my kids, not my wife, and realizing they're getting older quick. And I'm like, how are they aging, but I'm not? You guys ever think like those kinds of things? Uh, but no, it's sweet to grow up in the church. Uh, I've been part of Northwood for 23 years. Uh, I've got a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a wife whose name and age. I'll mention her name. It's Ashley, but I will not mention her age. But uh, honored to do this together and just spend, yeah, she's been here her whole life, her whole life. Grew up in the church, family here, friends. It's, it's always sweet anytime I get to come back here and just share. And I do have the privilege this week of actually ending the devotions message series that I think has been awesome. It really has. Uh, we've been spending, this is week eight in devotions. And what we've been doing is we've been just walking through the one-year Bible together as a church. So basically we look at the one-year Bible readings for the week and we read them. And then in those readings, we are taking our time and developing a message just out of a devotion that we're reading. We believe it's impactful. Uh, we don't think that you just have to come to church and hear a message from a person to, to find and hear a word from you from God, but we believe the word of God is active and it's alive. Uh, the goal in this series the whole time has been that we would, like there would be this exploration spirit that comes across us. Like we want to dive into the word of God and learn and grow and, and you know, grow in Christ, but then also apply what we read. So we've just been taking our time going through the word of God and doing uh, just that. In 2 Timothy, the Bible tells us about the Bible. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. So it's God himself uh, breathing out the scripture. And it's profitable for teaching. Uh, it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We also see in other parts of the Bible that God's prepared good works for each and every single one of us. So the way to fulfill these good works that God's actually prepared and planned for us, it will be found in the actual word of God. There's spots in the Bible that says that it's active, it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's completely applicable today as it was the days that it was written. And I'm amazed oftentimes when I read the Bible, it's either encouraging encouraging me of things that I've walked through like you can look in your life and you can see how the word of God how it's previously taken care like you can look back and realize what God has done sometimes in the very moment the word of God is encouraging you in your present and then there's times in the Bible where it's almost prophetically speaking to you of things to come so today I think it's going to check all of those boxes today some of you are going to be remarkably encouraged Today, some of you are going to be challenged. Uh, today, some of you are going to, to have an opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord is still alive. It's still active. So what I want to do is I want to pray and dive into this. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to gather together. So God, I pray that you would take today's message. And God, I pray that you would breathe on this thing. God, I pray that it just wouldn't be persuasive speech God, that it wouldn't just be words on a screen or in a book, but God, that you would take these and you would handcraft a message to every single one of us. God, I pray that you would challenge the church. God, I pray that you would encourage the church. 
And God, at the end of the day, that we would know you a little bit more, that we would grow in becoming more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And God, that we would go in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just for a season of life, but until Jesus returns. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we're reading the Bible, as we're even going through this series, we are reading and what we're trying to do is we are trying to ask three questions every time we read the scriptures. And these questions are built and designed so that we might uh, read and interpret the Bible correctly. Oftentimes, we have a tendency to make things about ourselves a little too quick. And uh, we've, that's kind of been a common theme in some of this messaging and even conversations. But the three questions that we ask every time we're reading scriptures are these. It's, when I'm reading this, what do I learn about God? What am I observing about God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Like, what am I observing and learning about God? The next question that we're going to is, just in this text, what am I learning what am I observing about people? Not me people, just people in general. So what any people watchers in here, like you go to a restaurant and you just kind of observe people. We want to learn or observe just people's interactions and reactions to just life. And then we get to what does God want me to do with what we've actually read? How do I apply this? Or what's my response to what we've read? So today, we're going to be in the book of James. We're going to be in the book of James, and it's going to be in chapter 1, so if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. We'll have the Bible on the screens or online when you see it there, but we're going to be in James chapter 1, and I want to set this up for you. Uh, we've talked about different Bible study tools that you can use to get a little bit of context. It's really good when we read the Bible to, to understand a little bit about the world that's taking place as we're reading this type of thing. So in the book of James, it is a letter that's written by James, who's actually the brother of Jesus. You see that in the, in the book of Matthew, you see reference to him. But you learn about James, and he's the brother of Jesus, and he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is written about 40 to 45 A.D., uh, about 20 years after James writes this letter, he is a martyr for the cause of Christ. He gives his life for Jesus, his Savior, also brother. This letter was likely written to predominantly Jewish Christian house churches outside of Palestine based on its mention of the 12 tribes and the dispersion. They were, they were dispersed when Jesus left, a lot of churches began to, and people and followers of Christ began to experience great persecution and poverty. And you see James writing a letter to these churches. Its focus is going to be primarily on followers of Christ that are receiving a lot of persecution, that are enduring a lot of poverty. James is pretty short. It's got 108 verses in it. So that's like, if you're looking for a short book to read, you're like, I want to read a whole book in the Bible and impress your friends. James is only 108 verses. But in these 108 verses, there is a lot of commands. James is observing people that are in persecution and poverty, and he's realizing that the temptation for people that are enduring great trials and temptations and tough things is to abandon some of the principles that they once held so closely to. So this is a very pastoral letter that he's saying, guys, contend for the faith. And out of these 108 verses, he's got 59 commands in them. 59 commands in 108 verses, and a lot of them are challenging. A lot of them are correction, and our prayer is that today those things take place in your life. So 
James chapter 1. It's going to be two blocks of scripture, 2 through 4 and then 12 through 15. 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember, we're trying to observe it first. What are we learning about God? So thinking about that, and you still see that on the screen, just take a minute, just for yourself. If you're watching online, just, just if you can, if you're not driving, pay attention. Like, look at the screen. What do you observe about God? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. A few verses later in verses 12 through verse 15, it says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That's an easy one to pull out. If you're observing something about God, there it is. <laughs> There's one that God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. What do I learn about God? Simply observing, what do I learn about God? One thing that we can definitively pull out of God is that God blesses those who persevere in trials, and he promises to crown them with life. That's a thick statement. That's a big thought, because instantly we begin to put ourselves in that conversation, but let's use some discipline and stick with God. Let's pull out some of those words, blessed. What's your definition of blessing? God's definition of blessing and the author's intent of this word blessing might be a little bit different. Blessing in this world actually is suggesting that it goes much further, much further beyond earthly blessing. It actually lends itself towards the fruit of the Spirit. It says that blessed, blessed is the one who remains steadfast and these blessings are something like peace, <laughs> patience, Joy, gentleness, kindness, self-control, blessed. God blesses those who endure trials. And those blessings are things like that. Promised was another word that was in there. There's a, there's a theological, this is one of those things that can go two different ways. But most theologians agree when it talks about this blessed and the crown of life that's referenced is this Greek word stephanos, stephanos. And in those days when James was writing, 
um, the Olympics were, were like, that was the main event. Like the World Cup is taking place now and like that's a massive thing for most of the world and a few Americans. But what it is, is like the Olympics when James is talking, it's true, but like, hey, but James is talking and he's talking about crowned and this promised crown, this Stephanos word is one of this wreath. That a person that endured great hardship would receive if they accomplished the race. And he says it's this crown of life. And James is telling us that this crown is going to go to those that have endured greatly and that they've succeeded. We can definitively say through scriptures and just through what we learn about God that God blesses those who persevere in trials. Persevere is not even a word we want to talk about right now. <laughs> like, ugh, persevere. God blesses those who persevere in trials, and he promises, he pinky promises, <laughs> to crown them with life. Another observation just from the word of God that we see, and it was in the second set of verses, is that God does not tempt anyone. So God is not one that we can blame when temptations are in front of us. He is not the source. Verse 13 literally says, God tempts no one. So if you are one, God tempts not you. Not it. God tempts no one. This word again, and this is just through using BibleStudyTools.com. So this is, this is a free online resource. When you click this word temptation and you say, what does this mean? It paints this picture of a wild game trap. Like one of those, like, you guys know what I'm talking about, the bear traps. That is crazy enticing. It's got all the food. It's got everything trying to lure you to it. It is saying this thing looks so good. Temptation. Some of you are experiencing temptation in your life even in these moments or this week. It's just, it's abundant in your life. But James is saying that God does not tempt anyone and he tells us how to actually respond to the temptation. But that word paints this picture of a trap that has something incredibly enticing, but it's disastrous once taken. Temptation. I may say this, I do think it's important. We've said this several times. And just through many conversations, sometimes the enemy will try to just beat you into shame, thinking because you're tempting, you're being tempted that you're sinning. Temptation isn't the sin. So let me encourage you not to be condemned if you're being tempted. It's actually just part of life. Try to run. I don't want any temptation. Then you don't want to be alive. This actually kind of leads us to the next question, though. When we're reading through the Bible, the next question is, what do we learn about people? And you don't really need to read that particular set of scriptures to get this. You just need to be part of life for any amount of time. But I think something that we all can completely learn from people is that people respond differently to trials and temptations. They do. You do. I do. We do. Verse 2 and verse 13 that we just read said, when trials take place. 
It says when temptations take place. It doesn't say if. Which is really disheartening in a lot of ways because it says when they come, we all have a choice of how we're going to respond. And this is the part that is tough because trials are simply part of life. And trials are different for different people. And being around a community of people, it does appear many times that some people walk through much more. Tougher. And James is instructing, again, he's writing to people, he knows their names. He knows their stories. And he's addressing the church that some of the people reading this at that moment haven't endured or experienced trials at this time. And some are right in the midst of it right now. And some have passed through the trials and realized what God has done in them in the midst of the trial. But James is trying to encourage them first by just making them aware that trials are a part of life. And that is a similar theme all throughout the word of God. Jesus said it. Peter said it. Paul said it. They all said that we are going to face hard things. But we don't want to. And that's okay not to want to. Like, we don't have to be gluttons for punishment when it comes to these things. But we would rather escape difficulty. In fact, we find ourselves oftentimes trying to build our life to such a way that we safeguard ourselves from it. But the promise in the Bible is that we will face it. So we build our lives trying to maximize comfort and minimize pain. Is that wrong? No. But what I do believe takes place in those moments is if we're not careful and if we are finding our trust and our hope, if people are finding their trust and their hope and their faith in the structure that they've built around trying to safeguard themselves from trials, is that when trials take place, we are going to be forced to respond somehow, some way. And if we have put all of our hope in the attempt to maximize comfort and not experience pain, what are we going to do when pain is present? Well, we're going to respond one of two different ways. We're going to face them, and honestly, it's the same with temptations. In trials, we find ourselves trying to build ourselves to never experience trials or, or the frustrations of life or the difficulties of life, but when it comes to temptations... Oftentimes, we find ourselves trying to avoid taking responsibility for us taking the bait of temptation. It wasn't me. I have a feeling in those days, some people were saying, God did that. God tempted me. So James is saying, God tempts no one. Maybe you have said, God tempted me. No, God doesn't tempt anyone. But we have a real difficult time taking responsibility for certain areas of our life when the truth is temptations are because of us. Verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured by his own desire. Lured and enticed by his own desire. No, it's you. It's, it's them. It's that. No, it's This is what temptation is. 
And James begins to explain the progression that takes place with this wild game trap called temptation. And this is where oftentimes it gets very personal because it's this enticing thing. It's this thing that looks attractive, but you know we really shouldn't be close to that thing. But you just kind of get a little bit closer. And, oh, I'm not going to do that. I mean, the scriptures just said it. He's lured. He's enticed. He's drawn in other words that would say it's literally like fishing. I'm not a fisherman, but I do know one of the keys to fishing is when you throw that out there and you begin to lure it in, you begin to reel it in, that lure that's got the dangly little worm on it to that fish, it's like, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Oh, I would really like that. I bet that would taste so good. I would, and they start to follow it. What are you following? And that fish is like, ah, ah. And then it starts to like go up to the water, the top of the water. It's like, no, 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 if I, if I don't act now, I'm going to lose it forever. So that's what James is saying. Lured and enticed by his own desires. There's this quote that you'll see on the screen. It says that sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And it's by a theologian, an apologist named Ravi Zacharias. It's a very true quote. Ravi Zacharias recently passed away, and some things came out about his life that he was entertaining sin. And it took him much further than he ever wanted to go. They're not just allegations. There's truths to things that were in his life where he took advantage of people. He misused. He abused people. The truth is very true. But also every time I see that quote now and it being attributed to him, it means that no one is exempt. So please, even in this room, can I encourage you, challenge you to not think that you've made it? to not think that you're above, that you're beyond the temptation. James is writing to a group of believers that have endured a lot. James is writing to a group of believers that have seen a lot. James is writing to a group of believers that some actually saw Jesus himself. And he's still saying, guys, just because you saw, just because you saw him die, be buried, resurrect and ascend, there's still temptation out there. You're still able to fall temptation sin will take you further than you want to go it'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay can I ask you this what has gotten further in your life than it should maybe this is a moment to prayerfully consider online in this room if you're watching past the service being live I don't believe that the Holy Spirit can't speak to you right where you're at what has gotten further than it should have in your life 
we observe that people respond differently to trials and temptations. I wish we didn't. I wish we all sided the right way every time, but then we wouldn't have free will, this beautiful gift from God. Some of us say, God, why would you do that? <laughs> we try to blame yet again. Even when we fall, we're like, God, why would you give me a free will? You knew what kind of knucklehead I'd be. The only way that you can truly and deeply love someone is if it's your choice. And the only way that you can truly and fully surrender and follow something is if it's your choice. It's not manufactured robotic following. It's true discipleship. Following that which you love. But we see when trials and temptations are present, people respond differently. And the, the, the reason I'm putting these two words together is trials and temptations in this Greek word, they actually come from the exact same Greek Hebrew root word. And what it's saying is although the expression of the challenge is going to be different, what I'm trying to do in this moment is neutralize it a little bit because it's not necessarily about the thing you're walking through or being tempted by. It's about the response to and I think that's what James is talking because we couldn't even in this room write down every single thing that you're walking through or being tempted with or the trial that's at hand. But we can say all of us have a responsibility to respond somehow, some way, which brings us to the last question. In light of what we've read, what does God want me to do? Or maybe, maybe even more simple how does God want me to respond to temptations and trials? Because how we respond determines the result of trials and temptations. The scriptures give us the answers. We don't have to come up with them on our own. But we can definitively say that God wants us to resist the devil and to endure temptation to endure trials. James 4 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, the temptation is the trap. <laughs> it's the trap. It says, if we stay far enough away from it, <laughs> that it is not going to consume us. The danger lies when we get close. The garden we don't know how long Adam and Eve walked around this tree that they were told not to be at. I don't know if it was like visiting for a minute. And then, oh, no, no, no. God said no. <laughs> like, you know how it is. Oftentimes, it's not just one moment and boom, done. Oftentimes, it is a progression. And the progression most often takes place in our mind first. How great would it be? How good would it feel? How good would that fruit truly be? And the instruction is resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Corinthians says, no temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This scripture has been abused in the past and said that I'm never going to get more than I can handle. No. Actually, you can't handle it at all. <laughs> the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. The way of escape is different for different people. People that are, are entertaining the temptation but haven't stepped in, 
to that yet and been The way of escape is turning to the one that did not ever embrace the temptation. The way of escape is turning from the desire and turning to that which has already surpassed sin, never sinned once. That's the way of escape. But you know what else? The way of escape is those that have been, you're hopeless, you're stuck. You need an outside force to release you. The way of escape we'll get to in a second is Jesus himself and the cross that opened up the trap and made way when there was no way. Understand this, that the way of escape has always been and always will be Jesus. The other thing that I really want to take my time on, and I'll wind this message down right here is that God wants you to joyfully remain steadfast in trials. And those words don't even feel like they should go together. God wants me to joyfully remain steadfast in trials. Y'all, the very beginning of the letter to these followers of Jesus, verse 2 of chapter 1 from James, says, hey guys, I know you're enduring. It's bad. But his first command to them is count it all joy. Count it all joy, family. When you meet trials, when... When, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds, he says, count it all joy. And just a few verses later, he says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast, who hangs on in the midst of trial. And guys, I don't know what trials you're in right now, I don't know what the end result of your trial is going to be. But in the same way that James in verse 2 referred to his family, the brotherhood, he says, brothers, he's urging them, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of my family in a trial we've recently walked through. About four months ago, my dad, uh, who's been part of our church as long as I have, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, so these are the moments. Hey, let's just, let's talk. Let's talk, guys. The same experience that many of you feel when certain trials enter your life was the same experience that everyone feels. And it was the moment that he was diagnosed, and we knew the location, but you have to run a bunch of tests to find out just where it's gone, how far, if it's run its course, and He'd taken some tests and it suggested that it might have gotten out of a certain contained area. So you run the tests and then you get like this week-long wait. So every emotion that you could experience or expect is what's present because when trials take place. We sat down, me, him, a couple other people, we sat down full of faith, praying, and this is what he said. This is my dad. 
He said, hey, Micah. He said, of course we're going to pray for the outcome. Of course. Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that he can heal. He said, but I feel like it's more important how we walk through this than the result of this. And right there, there was a deep rooting that took place in faith. He said this, he says, is God only good if he does what we ask? What if the trial is actually about developing parts of your life? What if the process is actually more important than the end result? What if we were called to grow in becoming more like Jesus in the way that we actually can do that is through walking through tough things? Now please understand, I'm saying this with the most sympathy and empathy that's possible. I'm not saying God does things, but I am saying that God will be with us in the midst of things. So we ask ourselves, how could we ever do this? How could we ever walk through something so terrible, so painful? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, many of you have walked through things much more painful than what I've just said. And the beauty is that the brotherhood, the family is lifting you up, is praying for you, is walking with you. But you also have the ability to look at one, look to one that walked through something perfectly. Two days before we read James and the instruction from James about count it all joy when you fall into various trials, we ended the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's just followed this illustrative example of Hebrews 11, that's the hall of faith that's, that's talking about these people that are legends in faith because they stood strong in the midst of trials. And Hebrews 12 immediately follows this Hall of Fame list and he says, guys, because there's these people that have walked through hard things and the author of Hebrews is writing to people that are remarkably persecuted as well, he says, because it's tough, but because people have already gone through it, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he goes back to this Olympic, this, um, this, this gallery of spectators that are watching your life, your walk of faith, you walk through the trial. He says, because there's so great of a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight, every temptation. Let us lay aside every sin which clings so closely. And he says, this is the author of Hebrews, but James is following this up and saying, let us run with endurance. He's saying, let us run the race with endurance. He says, the one that's set before you, and here's what he says. He says, you run the race of endurance by looking to Jesus. He says, lift your eyes up a little bit. In a distance race, and you can leave this on the screen, but in a distance race, you are trained in the midst of the deepest pain to lift your eyes up from the immediate surrounding and set your eyes on something further down the road. 
And the author saying, lift your eyes up to Jesus. Why? Because he is the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that started it. He's the start line and he's the finish line. It says, who for the joy, check this out, who for the joy that was set before him, for the finish line that was set before Jesus, he endured. He endured the greatest trial. The cross. Why? Because of the finish line. Despising the shame. And it says that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the scriptures even say that he's seated at the right hand of God interceding for you. If today's message had a title, it would be Endure Well. It would be endure well. One day when we cross the finish line, those who have been faithful, we will be in perfection. But what a beautiful time that we could experience the compassionate side of Jesus, of God, the graceful side, the merciful side, the one that comforts those who mourn. One day we won't mourn, one day we won't hurt, one day we won't, but today we do. And in the midst of trials is where we see a whole nother side of God that we won't see in eternity. And it's the compassionate hand of God that walks with us in the midst of trials. Endure well. Resist the enemy. Temptation. Remember, temptations and trials are neutral. It's up to you how you respond. And I think James is urging his followers to endure well. And that's what I want to tell you today as well. God, I pray over the people in this room. God, I pray, God, that there would be this Holy Spirit grit among them. God, I pray for those that are enduring right now. God, we lift up our brothers and sisters. You know, if you're in this room and you're in the midst of trial, I would encourage you just to to just receive this message. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like you can say things. You just have to receive. If you're in this room and you're thinking about people that are enduring trials right now, I'd encourage you just to lift them up before God right now. If you're in this room and temptation, it's close because you're close to it. I'd encourage you to lay that thing down right now. Walk away. Walk away. Resist the enemy. God, right now, you're speaking to us and we're responding to you. Some of you in this room, some of you online right now are hearing this message and you're realizing, as we read Hebrews 12, that, <laughs> that when I said the author or the founder of your faith and the perfecter of your faith, you find yourself in the midst of trials and temptations, but you've never, you've never found faith in Christ. The only way that you can triumphantly live through trials and temptations is by surrendering your life to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. So in this room, you might need to be surrendering your life right now to him. God, whatever our responses are right now, God, I pray that you would speak to your people and we would respond to you. God, have your way in this room, 
in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.